Do you really love me? That's the question that we're so often asking, aren't we, in all of our relationships. Do you really love me? And that is the question we're always asking, I think, to God. God, do you really love me? Uh, For much of the time, I guess, uh, we think, why wouldn't God love me? After all, I'm quite lovable. But in our better moments, our more honest moments, when we reflect on our own actions and our feelings and our motives, and we remember that God knows us through and through, we realise that we are not lovable, but unlovable. And so we ask the question, God, do you really love me? And it's not just that we know ourselves, but we experience life. Sometimes in life we see and receive life as it comes at us, and we think clearly God is good and really loves me. But we all have our bad days, our bad weeks, and our bad years. Uh, Last week as I took people around the graveyard, our final uh, grave uh, was the Jaffray family grave. In September of 1880, four of their children died in just two weeks. They must have asked the question, God, do you really love us? This morning in this extraordinary passage, in this extraordinary event, we meet Jesus' unlovable enemies, his unlovable friends, And we hear his loving agony. And most of all, we hear his father's loving silence. Jesus had done extraordinary things. He had healed the sick, raised the dead, and taught people to love their enemies. Perhaps even most extraordinary, not everyone loved him. Yes, the crowds followed him, but the leaders felt threatened by him. And in Mark's Gospel, by chapter 3, they are plotting to kill him. And so they are delighted when a friend of Jesus comes to them, for he has become an enemy of Jesus too, and offers to betray Jesus to them in verses 10 and 11. This Hatred of Jesus, this betrayal of Jesus is so ugly, it is so unlovable that you must ask the question, surely, would God really still love his enemies who are like this? It is no wonder, is it, that Judas, who betrayed him, despaired and so killed himself. For how could God love him? We meet here the unlovable enemies of Jesus. And it might be this morning that some of us here know that we have been an enemy of Jesus. No, we haven't plotted to kill Jesus. We haven't betrayed him. We've never had the opportunity. But we have mocked him, ignored him, and rejected him in our past. Or perhaps there is a big sin, or many little sins, We are one of Jesus' unlovable enemies and we really ask the question, could God really love 
me. Jesus is surrounded not just by his unlovable enemies, but also by his unlovable friends. He had chosen 12 special friends to be with him, that he might teach them and love them, and they in turn loved him. And so when Jesus predicted that he would be rejected and die, and that they would all desert him, they promised undying faithfulness. He said to James and John in chapter 10, can you drink the cup I drink. Yes, we can, they said. When he said to Peter that they would all fall away, Peter said, no, even if all the others fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, he said. And how do they do? The night before he died, in Jesus' hour of greatest need, he took Peter, James and John. And though they see and hear him distressed and he merely asks them to stay and keep watch, what do they do? Verse 37, Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. Surely they would not do that again. But Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. And Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. Even if I have to die, I will not desert you, said Peter. He couldn't even stay awake. And worse, they not only fall asleep. When Jesus is arrested by his enemies, verse 50, they desert him completely. This is not stand by me or you've got a friend in me or best friends forever. They desert him. Jesus' friends whom he has loved and who loved him. Can you imagine how painful and lonely this is? Can you imagine how bad and unlovable Jesus' friends felt? Would Jesus really still love his friends who are like this? Perhaps this morning you know that you have been an unlovable friend of Jesus. No, you haven't fallen asleep in his hour of darkest need. You haven't deserted him when he was arrested, but you didn't have the opportunity. You have believed him and promised to be faithful and, like me, have let him down, kept silent. And perhaps you have wandered away from him in the past for years. Are you one of Jesus' unlovable friends? And you ask the question, could God really love me? We meet here Jesus' unlovable enemies and his unlovable friends. But most of all, I want you to see the son's loving agony. Verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, a garden just outside Jerusalem. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here 
and keep watch. It's no surprise at all, is it, that with such unlovable enemies, unlovable friends, and with his own death before him, it's no surprise to us that Jesus is distressed and troubled and sorrowful. But actually, it is a surprise. For none of this is a surprise to Jesus. He has been predicting his enemies would do this. He has been predicting his friends would do this. And it all is happening as he predicted. Indeed, he is provoking it to happen. He goes up to Jerusalem deliberately. He provokes the leaders deliberately. None of it is a surprise to Jesus. He is in control of these events. And not just in in control of these events, he is in control of himself. Until this point, he is completely composed and secure as they plot against him. So why now did he begin to be deeply distressed and troubled. The word distress is a sense of amazed at what was before him. Why now is his soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? He is in such deep, deep sorrow that it brings him just in and of itself to the brink of death without the cross. What could cause such distress and sorrow? Well, clearly it is the hour. Verse 35, he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour is his death. But to be frank, many others have faced their own death without such agony, haven't they? And we would have expected Jesus to do that, I think. Uh, The hour is the cup. Verse 36, he prays, Abba, Father... Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Jesus does not have a cup in his hands. It is a metaphor. A metaphor of what his father has given him and he is about to drink. In the ancient world, if you wanted to kill someone, to murder them, you would poison their cup and perhaps trick them or force them to drink to their own death. And in Isaiah 51, God used that image as an image of judgment, that the nations and his own people were going to drink the cup of his wrath. Jesus' death is not the result of his unlovable enemies or his unlovable friends. It is not the tragic result of the political forces swirling around him. It is God's plan that he would drink the cup of our sin that he would receive the punishment for sin. Now, Jesus has known this all along. That's the plan. But at this moment, it's as if he is now looking down into the cup and he sees what it is that he is about to drink. He sees the sin, the sin of all his unlovable enemies, their cruelty and their hatred, He sees not just their sin, but of every murder and every rape and every civil war and every genocide in the cup, and he must drink it. He sees the sin of his unlovable friends with their unfaithfulness, but not just them, but of every follower who's been ashamed of him and kept silent, and he must drink it. And not just drink the sin, 
bear the sin, he looks into the cup and in that cup sees God's righteous anger, his punishment of that sin. And it is not just anyone's anger, it is God's anger. And not just God's anger, but his God and his Father, whom he loves and who loves him. He looks into the cup and sees the sin and the judgment that he must drink. No wonder he is distressed and troubled and is sorrowful to the point of death. And it is no wonder, is it, that he asks his father, take this cup from me. Over the years, some people have seen here that this is Jesus' human side. He is both God and man. And God surely would not be afraid at this point. He would never ask his father to take the cup away. So this is the human part of Jesus. But Jesus does not have parts. He does not have a human side and a God side. He is one person, fully God and fully man. And do you think for one moment that being fully God would make this any easier, more desirable, And would mean that he would not ask his father to take it away. No, as God, he understands and perceives and feels the judgment that he is about to drink. And we need to see his agony. For you and I have learnt about the cross of Christ. We have heard about Good Friday so many times. We have pictured it as one hand and another hand and the sin goes on to Jesus. We've heard about justification. We've heard about it Good Friday as if this was an easy thing for Jesus to do. As if knowing that he would only be dead for three days and that he was God and powerful anyway would make it okay. But do you see here, Jesus sees clearly what it is he is about to do. And he is in agony, filled with sorrow to drink our cup. But even more, perhaps, I want you to hear his father's silence. Have you ever wished that God would answer your prayers? Not just do something, but that he would speak. The agony of waiting for God to speak and wondering whether he was actually listening at all and whether he will say anything. At least Jesus would never experience that, do you think? Well, Jesus prayed. Oh, did he pray. He went there to pray. He fell to the ground. And he prayed for an hour. Then he prayed again. Then he prayed again. In desperation, but in trust and affection and submission. And how did God answer? What did he say? Nothing. Jesus prayed. He spoke to his father and his father said nothing. There was simply the sound of silence. Why? How is the father going to respond to this request? Take this cup from me. 
Well, we are not left wondering, are we? And Jesus was not either. He prayed that the hour might pass from him. And when he had prayed, he knew the answer. And so he returned to his disciples, verse 41, and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Take this. The hour might pass from him. The hour has come. And so he was arrested and abused and executed. Here is a clear answer. Take this cup from me. God said, no. This silence from God, what does it say? It says so clearly, doesn't it, that there is no other way to deal with our sin and our judgment. There are so many we meet, aren't we? There might even be in your heart we think this, that if I am just good, I do the right thing and try my best. As long as I have an association with that church up there on the hill called St. Stephen's, it will be okay. There are many ways to God, surely, we say. We'd like that to be true, wouldn't we? But if that was true, how would God have responded to his son's agony and prayer? What would he have said? He would not have hesitated for one moment. And he would have said, yes. Of course I will take the cup away. I love you, my son. And there are other ways that we can save these people. Why then did he say no to his own son and leave the cup in his hand and make him drink it? Either there is no other way to deal with our sin and judgment or God is the cruelest father who has ever lived. Which will it be? Secondly, this silence speaks so loudly, doesn't it? God really does love you. Yes, you are unlovable. Yes, your life is confusing and it is hard to tell whether God really loves you by what he brings into your life. So we need to hear the father's silence here when his son asks. We need to see his answer. The son asked, take this cup from me. And the father said, no. And why? He said no to his own son. So he could say yes to you. When George and Henrietta Jaffray, when they're Children were dying in September 1880. Do you think they knew it was coming? Do you think they were afraid? Do you think they as parents wanted to stop this and save their children? Do you think perhaps some of their children who were old enough asked them to stop this? Of course and they had the agony of not having the power to do that. But imagine if they had the power to save. Would they have saved them? Of course. Well, as Jesus said, for the Father, everything is possible for you. 
Nothing is too hard for you. And everything inside the father would have wanted to say yes, except there was something he wanted more. You. And so he said no to his own son. So he could say yes to you. And as far as I can tell, despite their grief and the Jaffrey surely asking the question, does God really love us? They lived another 40 years and continued to trust and be confident that God loved them. And when they died after trusting God for 40 years, surely that would earn them something. They had been good. They had earned God's love. No, they knew there was no other way. For the tombstone reads, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Does God really love me? Life is confusing. And you are unlovable. But can you hear the son's agony? And can you hear the father's silence?